0: A significant part of my and Pastor Mark's pastoral roles and disciple leadership centers around articulating the experience of Christ in our lives, in our world, in our community. And more than ever, it's our work to not just do the work of Christ, but to name how Christ is alive among us as we go about our lives in mission to a hurting world. How we do this naming for our children and our grandchildren, our neighbors, our co-workers, our world, is crucial for our own hearts and for God's heart. And that's what the Gospel of Mark, this reading this morning, is all about. Known as the transfiguration, these verses that we are looking at invite us into a story with Christ, calling us to see to listen and experience a life with Christ. Now, I'm not going to spend my time with you today explaining the possibility or the likelihood of the transfiguration. In fact, I find the mysticism described here beautiful and helpful for our spirituality. Not everything can be or should be explained. In church, I have learned that as a parent more times than I care to recount. But allowing the transfiguration of Christ to remain just as we read it, to sit with it, to allow it to impact our imaginations, to have the verses flow through us, through our prayer life, to have the transfiguration, just as Mark writes it, inform our questions, spark our listening, push our doubt and challenge, and help paint the portrait of Christ is a vital spiritual practice, I think. Hear now these verses again. This is the verses 2 through 4 from Mark 9. And he was transfigured before them, and his clothes became dazzling white, such as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to them Elijah with Moses, who were talking with Jesus. What interests me here is not so much what the transfiguration is or isn't. No, what compels me further into this passage is what we, as individual disciples and as the church today, what we do with it, what we do with the transfiguration, the dazzling Christ in our midst. So first, we're just going to think through the point of this passage, the aim of it. Why this mystic happening on a mountaintop with Jesus' band of merry men? Well, there are a few reasons here. And one is that the author of Mark wants to make sure that we know beyond a doubt that Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the Christ. We need to know that Jesus is of the Jewish tradition. Here, verse 4 again. And there appeared to them Elijah with Moses, who were talking with Jesus. Suddenly, this man, this Jesus, he isn't just a friend of Peter, James, and John. He isn't the servant leader alone who called them to fish for people. Here, Jesus is transfigured from a compassionate, learned, healing miracle worker, to the Jewish Messiah, who is conversing with the ancient and revered prophets of the faith, Elijah and Moses. It is here in the Gospel of Mark, just days before our Lenten calendar begins, that we read and learn once again that Jesus is the Christ, that Jesus is the long-awaited Messiah. And as if that purpose isn't enough, Mark, I believe, also includes this passage, believe it or not, to humanize our experience of Christ. You see, in case you didn't recognize yourself in this particular story, we are Peter. I mean, who among us wouldn't be a little dumbfounded by the goings-ons we just read about? Who among us, if we were witness to the transfiguration described in these verses, wouldn't resort to these antics, similar antics that Peter takes on? I can see Peter almost stumbling over himself to arrive at some form of response, something appropriate to what has just happened. Verse 5, this is what we hear about Peter. Then Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three dwellings, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what to say, for they were terrified. Yeah, so Peter and friends go on this hike with Jesus. He says, we're going to a mountaintop. We need some prayer time. So you go, you walk with Jesus, and out of nowhere is this transfiguration, Peter doesn't know what to do or say, so he resorts to what he knows. And this, I believe, is what we would do. He resorts to what he knows in order to respond to this event that's happening, the Jewish tradition of the booth festival. He offers to build booths out of reverence and respect for these prophets. Peter tries to memorialize this mountaintop holy experience. Like Peter, I would likely be running around trying to do something to seal in this moment forever. But we learn that Peter and company were terrified, just like I think you and I would be as well, and that God intervenes, and he kind of puts an end, kind of hushes this booth idea, and instead God instructs them to do what? What does God say to do in verse 7? How many of you remember? Again? Listen. God doesn't say, go build booths, right? Construct something to remember this forever so that people can come and remember it with you. No, God says, listen. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. I love what the author of Mark is doing here. He describes us to a T. We have this indescribable experience with Jesus and the prophets and God, and we try to put it in human terms, and that's very understandable. We try to build structures to encapsulate and remember this experience, to to almost hem God in. And what does God want us to do? Listen to Jesus. For the previous eight chapters in Mark, Jesus has been with God's people. He's been teaching and healing and breaking bread with God's people and sharing the love of God And all we are asked to do in response to God's presence with us is to listen with our ears and our eyes and our lives about the kingdom of God. So the transfiguration serves to identify Jesus, the Christ, as well as to help us focus our response to Christ by listening with our lives. So I got to thinking, what does this look like for us In 2018. I got to thinking about how when we listen to Jesus, when we listen with our lives, might we be transfigured too? I know I am, over and over again. This past November, together with Kristen Rex, she's a longtime member of Los Altos United Methodist Church, Kristen and I uh, attended A Long Beach City Council meeting where a particular law, a particular measure, sorry, called Claudia's Law was being introduced to the council. And I had been asked if I would speak to it. Claudia's Law was an important measure that would have protected hotel workers, the vast majority of whom in Long Beach are women, by providing much needed on the job safety. And the introduction of this measure was the result of years of listening to Jesus in our Long Beach community. Now, allow me to share that I don't find it an easy thing to speak to the Long Beach City Council. I don't know if any of you have ever been to a city council meeting or spoken to before them. It is not an easy thing to do. It's pretty intimidating. In fact, I would say it's utterly terrifying. It's actually sort of scary to see Christ and then articulate how Christ is at work within us and how Christ was calling me to speak for justice for God's people. Now this council meeting, don't be surprised, was long and tedious and painful. There were tears and shouts and cries and there were factions on all sides. There was clearly paid lobbyists and hardworking citizens there expressing their opinions and their experiences. And for that night, And truthfully, for years, I've been um, about this ministry, listening to these hotel workers and their stories of abuse. And for years now, I've been hearing about how they've been intimidated on the job and their unsafe working conditions. And I have heard Christ calling out in their voices and in their stories I've experienced Christ in their stories of their sheer dedication to their jobs and appreciation for their jobs. I've experienced Christ in their stories through their humility and their courage to come forward with their experiences at great risk to their family's livelihood. And I have been brought to my knees in prayer, lifting these women and men to God, that God would hold them close and keep them safe. And I would say that I have been transfigured by the presence of Christ and that that's the transfiguration at work today because the power of the transfiguration lies not just in the dazzling white of Christ before us, although beautiful and brilliant. The power of the transfiguration lies not in the unattainable Messiah The transfiguration and its power is about what happens to us when we name Christ before us, Christ within us, Christ around us. For when we experience Christ, when we identify Christ, sorry, when we begin to name Christ, what happens to us? The Long Beach City Council voted that evening not to pass Claudia's law, and it was rough. But a few weeks ago, I got a phone call out of nowhere inviting me to be a signatory to a um, city ballot initiative that will bring Claudia's Law to the people of Long Beach. Christ is alive. Christ is among us and at work within us. And so I found myself traipsing down to the Long Beach City Hall clerk's office and signing this initiative I read it thoroughly, and I continue this journey of transfiguration, and that you may, with enough signatures, see that initiative on the ballot in November. This is how Christ has transfigured me recently, how Christ's compassion for all people, for the poor, for the working women of Long Beach, for the multi-generation family relying on a steady income, in this immensely large city that's reliant on the tourism industry, how Christ has been at work to transfigure my life. Never in a billion kazillion years would I have predicted that Christ would lead me to be a signatory on this initiative or any initiative. And I see how Christ has transfigured this church, how Christ is building disciples who are experiencing the transfiguration in the everyday right here. Recently, Pastor Mark helped our church to identify three lay leaders in the congregation, one for each worshiping body. Susan McVeigh, who's our lay leader in the first service, names Christ monthly as she helps to organize lunch for the Long Beach homeless population. She names Christ at work as she mentors young professionals. In the second service, lay leader Don Moreau names Christ as a small group leader in our youth ministry and as a Signal Hill police officer. In the third service, our Marnus Lelacy names Christ as the staff parish relations committee chair, as a member of the Cal State Alumni Board, and a leader in one of our local theater nonprofits, Musical Theater West. Whether they would use these words or not, These folks have been transfigured by Christ, and they have listened. I know that beyond what I have named, that each of them have a passion for enacting God's compassion for the world and all peoples. You see, Susan McVeigh shared with me once that she had a good friend who was struggling with a child's behavior at home. Adolescents hit their family kind of hard. And how do I know this? Because I had, several years ago, you may remember, formed a series of parenting seminars here at church, and Susan showed up at one. She wanted to simply glean information for her friend. Susan shared with me how she felt compelled to help her friend and the child walk through this rough patch together. And so she took notes and dutifully worked in this parenting seminar to share information with her friend later. I was blown away by that and deeply affected by Susan's simple witness to how Christ had transfigured her heart. This is Christ in our midst. You see, Don Moreau shared with me once that he has a passion for assisting the homeless. And I've seen Don at work. I've actually called him a number of times to seek wisdom and advice, and what to do in helping a member of our homeless community. Don has a compassion for the homeless and a way of working with them, not for them, that is both kind and effective. He's deeply skilled at working with this community and his work is impactful. And this isn't necessarily part of his job. I would say it's part of his vocation. I'm blown away by Don's work and deeply affected by his witness to how Christ has transfigured his heart. This is the Christ in our midst. You see, Marnus shared with me once that she has a passion for helping young artists and teachers reach their potential. And I've seen her at work. Marnus spoke inspirationally at the Cal State School of Music, Long Beach School of Music graduation last year. And I watched, I watched this happen. Marnus invited one of our own, Emily LaSalle, to apply for a scholarship from Musical Theatre West. Marnus has an innate drive to support the growth of education and nurture of young teaching professionals and musical artists. I've been deeply touched by Marnus's efforts. I cheered loudly when she spoke at that graduation. I've been deeply affected by her witness to how Christ has transfigured her heart. This is the Christ in our midst. The power of the transfiguration lies not in its magical power anything. It lies not in whether it happened or not. The power of this part of our story is what we do with it and how we enact that listening part. The power of the transfiguration lies in how we name the Christ how our very lives reflect the listening that God implores us to. Verse 7. Then a cloud overshadowed them, and from the cloud there came a voice. This is my Son, the Beloved. Listen to him. So many of us. In fact, I would venture to say every one of you, every one of this church family that I've had the blessing to know, has shared with me ways that you have been transfigured by Christ. Every one of you has been transfigured by the ways of Christ and the love of God in some way. I have no doubt of that. But the question before all of us today is, how are we articulating that in our lives? How are we naming that drives us, that which drives us is Christ, is the love of God, Because in naming that, we are invited into a deep place of humility that brings us all together in crafting of the kingdom of God for all of God's people. In naming that we are transfigured by Christ, that our lives have greater purpose and meaning in knowing Jesus and our loving God, we enter into God's story and we take our rightful place therein. As we do that, as we claim a oneness, a unity with all of God's people, with the hotel workers striving for safety on the job, with the homeless communities in Long Beach and Signal Hill, with young artists and educators throughout our communities, every one of us has been transfigured by the ways of Christ and the love of God. That much I know. Our work is to identify those ways and to name it for the world So church, church, name it. Claim the transfiguration and take your place in God's amazing story written for us all. Amen.